0: And I'd be kind of sitting there in bed, just wishing that my brain would just change, that something would just disappear. And every single one of those nights, I kind of promised myself that tomorrow was going to be different. But then always, without a shadow of a doubt, I'd get up the next morning and kind of weigh myself, look in the mirror. I remember just like pulling on my tracksuit bottoms, going downstairs to the kitchen, kind of opening the fridge and like just being completely frozen in that moment, not really sure what to do. And for me, that was when the battle got so heightened and it stopped giving me what I needed. And I think that's the thing with eating disorders is they promise so much, but they never actually deliver on their promises. So you keep going back to it.
1: Welcome to Time to Grow. I'm your host, Toso, and this is a podcast asking the question, what does it mean to be well? Today's conversation is with Hope Virgo. She's an author, an advocate, and maybe most important, she's a new mom to a beautiful baby boy named Joshua. Despite, she still took the time to speak with little old me on the topic of mental illness, specifically eating disorders. Our talk was short but sweet and really cut to the core of what I believe wellness is all about. Hope's bravery and resilience are exemplified throughout her work, which ranges from her support of hashtag, #DumpTheScales, the scales, or a social movement helping push the needle on policy reform to her most recent book called, You Are Free, which serves as a guide for people everywhere attempting to navigate faith in the midst of life's struggles. Again, my name is Toso and just so we're clear, I am not a mental health expert. Nevertheless, I'll be more than happy to add some resources in the show notes below for anyone who may be going through something similar, or that knows of someone who is. There is no shame in reaching out to get support, and know that I'm rooting for you. Anyway, this is time to grow, and this is Ms. Hope Virgo. Hey Hope, thanks for joining me today.
0: Hey, thanks so much for having me, it's so good to be here.
1: First off, I started by asking what wellness even means. We all come at this thing from different angles with various levels of either understanding or baggage so i wanted to wipe the slate get a bit of her backstory and find out what exactly is hope's view of well-being today
0: good question um yeah i guess firstly for me what the wellness journey is like a a process Mm -hmm. and i think so many of us we spending life working out different coping mechanisms around that we find different strategies to deal with it And that's something that I've definitely had to learn. So I am living in kind of ongoing recovery from an eating disorder. So I was diagnosed when I was about 17 years old, having lived with it kind of prior to that for about four or five years. And for me, during that kind of teenage period of my life, the eating disorder was my everything. It gave me this real value, this sense of purpose. And it kept me safe, I thought, in all of these moments where life felt really difficult to navigate. I didn't realize at the time how dangerous it was kind of going into those behaviors, kind of Entertaining those thoughts. Eventually, I got admitted to treatment and uh, spent a year living in an inpatient unit and have just been in this kind of state of ongoing recovery from that. I think for me, I do believe that with eating disorders, people can make a full recovery. Personally, I've only got a tiny bit of the way to go to kind of hit that full recovery marker. And then the wellness aspect within that is so intertwined in so many ways. And for me, it's about managing that alongside the eating disorder through having good communication, through talking about what's going on, kind of surrounding myself with the right people. And also just being aware of those things that trigger me in kind of moments where life feels really difficult and having that heightened emotion, actually being like, "That's, that's okay. And I don't need to entertain the eating disorder thoughts. I can find other ways to keep myself on that process of becoming well.
1: I wanted to touch on something you said. You, you said you were diagnosed at 17, but you had lived with it for four years before that. So in that interim between being, um, I guess, officially diagnosed and not having that sort of awareness, was there, you said that you found some comfort from that. But I could imagine there's maybe a little bit of uh dichotomy there. Was it was it kind of dark too, or was it something where you I'm I'm asking this because I saw a TED talk that was talking about there's something about the way that we relate to the substances we use that actually is replacing like our human connections. And mm-hmm. so maybe it gives us a sense of comfort, but maybe it's not a full sense of comfort. So I don't, I don't know if you wanted to, if you could just maybe touch on kind of that ongoing recovery, being able to start from that time where you got diagnosed, but even before that, did you know that it was something you were struggling with? Was it something that you just kind of felt was uh, just life and this is how it goes? Or I don't know, let's give a yeah. insight into your mind space then. By the way, if you were trying to watch that TED Talk I was just referencing, it's called Everything You Know About Addiction Is Wrong by Johan Hari. I'll be sure to leave a link to it in the show notes as well. In the meantime, back to the interview.
0: Yeah, no, um, I think that there were points when I, I knew what was going on. Kind of those moments when I felt like I there was something not quite right with me and a lot of my eating disorder stemmed from feeling like there was something categorically wrong with who I was and so I was trying to find a way to manage the emotion around that but also change that factor and so I think at first I felt like I'd found this magical solution to life and this was going to be the kind of be all and end, or this was going to make everything just feel okay and all that pain go away and for me to feel good enough. But during that four years, definitely towards the end, I was getting so consumed by the eating disorder that there were glimpses of that kind of really difficult moment. So I'd sit down with my friends and I'd be amazed that they could all eat what they wanted to and drink what they wanted to, because I was just consumed with so much guilt and fear around that. And then also I remember kind of six months before I got admitted to hospital, a lot of it kind of really came to a head. So I went to outpatients initially. And it was during that six months that pretty much every single evening I'd be getting into bed and I'd reflect on the day and I'd think about all of the arguments we had at home. I'd normally shouted at my younger brother at breakfast because he'd had to have breakfast with me. And I'd be kind of sitting there in bed, just wishing that my brain would just change, that something would just disappear. And every single one of those nights, I kind of promised myself that tomorrow was going to be different. But then always without a shadow of a doubt, I'd get up the next morning and kind of weigh myself, look in the mirror. I remember just like pulling on my tracksuit bottoms, going downstairs to the kitchen, kind of opening the fridge and like just being completely frozen in that moment, not really sure what to do. And for me, that was when the battle got so heightened and it stopped giving me what I needed. And I think that's the thing with eating disorders is they promise so much, but they never actually deliver on their promises. So you keep going back to those behaviors, wanting those promises to become true.
1: I want you to notice something that Hope said, that she was consumed by her eating disorder. There's an irony here, the obvious one that of being consumed by a condition that won't let you consume, the less apparent one being that of the nature of lies, which by their very definition exist to oppose, subdue, and yes, consume the truth. One of the major tools of Satan is deception. He's called the deceiver many times in scripture. Jesus even dubs him the father of lies, and for good reason. The grand narratives he'll weave tend to take us down a path that ultimately lead to disappointment. My question here for Hope was what her faith journey had been like and how it might have informed her battle with mental illness. I ended up quite surprised to learn that although she did grow up in church, Hope didn't become a Christian until quite recently.
0: Yeah, so I I grew up actually going to church, so I came from like a very strict Christian background, would go kind of every single week. We'd all kind of pile into the car, and I quite enjoyed it initially. Uh, When I was 12, 13 years old, I was sexually abused within the church, and I just had so much anger and so much frustration, and that was where all of those feelings that there was something wrong with me kind of stemmed from that shame that completely took over me. Um, I did continue going to church at that point and spent the next four years just going just because it was what we did as a family. I had those of friends there and I really liked the social aspect. But then eventually, obviously, when I got admitted to treatment, I just, I stopped going to church and I completely kind of stepped away from it and pretty much vowed myself that I would never, ever go back into that environment because I didn't feel, I didn't feel safe there. I was angry. I was frustrated at, at God, at the church, everything like that. But a few years ago, I ended up doing an alpha course and kind of doing that and having space again to ask all those questions feel that anger and frustration and and really understand that and I think for me a really big thing is the church doesn't always get it right and I think for me it was it was learning that and realizing actually that God is so much bigger than that and that shifted so much of my perspective and that also shifted that whole idea that it's it's a religion like yes it is technically a religion like being a Christian but actually for me it's so much more about having that relationship with God and I like became a Christian actually just before the pandemic started during the pandemic it really really helped me in those moments where life was feeling really challenging like it probably did for everybody who's listening to this and it kind of brought me back into the moment it gave me what I needed and like yeah just really really helps in that sense of wellness and now actually I try and journal every single day as a way to manage my kind of well-being, but also as a way to connect with God in those moments. And I think particularly when it's really, really hard to say what you're feeling, just finding that space to just kind of sit in it.
1: Such a beautiful way to reframe such a terrible situation. To be the victim of abuse is already traumatic, but to have that done by the very people who claim to be representing Christ's love is even more disturbing, though maybe, Such instances of pain could help redirect our gaze from imperfect humans to a perfect God. Which reminds me of an earlier conversation I had on this podcast about the importance of safe spaces, specifically in the church. If you can remember, it was back in episode one where I spoke with Ruth Rice, the founder of Renew Wellbeing.
0: In those two years when everything else ground to a halt, the question emerged, hang on, are we okay no we're not okay what is the gospel how do we connect with our communities and i think the language of well-being is the language of connection because it's already out there and it is the gospel so if we just learn to speak the same language
1: and in- one of the things she's working on relates to the creation of physical spaces in church buildings across england as to facilitate more mentally and emotionally healthy congregations i wondered might this notion of community connect back to eating disorders in any way? Personally, I've found that it's often in the context of happy people that I feel the happiest. So it goes to posit that the same should go for being in the context of well-being. I asked Hope two things related to this. First, what are plans are for the community moving forward? And second, what are ways that we can begin to collectively address this important issue? even if we don't directly suffer from it.
0: Yes, I guess firstly, um, alongside doing a lot of speaking in schools and kind of working wherever I'm needed, um, we'll continue to do a lot more writing, but also do um, a lot of campaigning. So I've got a campaign called Dump the Scales, which... Is all around shifting the narrative around eating disorders, making sure that people know that eating disorders can be completely hidden in plain sight. I think so much of the time with eating disorders, there's this huge amount of stigma, a huge lack of understanding. And we're still looking for that white, teenage, emaciated girl, thinking that's the only person who has an eating disorder. But we know that they can affect people from all different backgrounds, people from all different genders, races, ages. So shifting a lot of that and kind of speaking a lot about that. And so if people are interested in the campaigning, like, obviously do check it out. Um Where if they make, find that? Uh, so it's on the change.org website. So uh, yeah. if you just search, dump the scales um, or look on kind of my social links as well. And there has been a lot of progress with it. But I think with eating disorders, because of that stigma, like I said, it still is massively underfunded and there's so much that needs to be done so we're pushing a lot of that and then I think more broadly like as a society we know that eating disorder culture is currently so embedded within it we're constantly all talking and kind of comparing and judging our bodies what food we're having We need to be working as individuals to shift that too. So, I always say, like, actually in church environments, but also across society, just being really mindful of the conversations that we're having around food and calories and dieting and exercise. I think making sure that when you hold events, making it really, really inclusive so people affected by eating disorders can come to this sort of stuff, like working with them about what that might look like. And then also just having these direct conversations. I think. So much of the time we shy away from talking about eating disorders because we're scared of triggering people or upsetting people. But actually we need to be bringing these conversations and these behaviors out into the light because if we don't, people aren't gonna heal. People are gonna sit with that shame and we need to be sort of working around that.
1: Thank you so much for checking in with this episode. My name is Toso and today I spoke with Hope Virgo author of you are free and frontrunner for the campaign dump the scales if you'd like to check her out elsewhere
0: uh so on my instagram it's just hope virgo underscore and then on twitter um hope virgo so instagram tends to be a bit more encouraging probably twitter's much okay. more opinionated yeah.
1: <laughs> next week i'll be speaking with calvin wood he's the author of a book called entertaining angels which talks about how we can learn to be more compassionate and how we engage with the topic of autism I definitely learned a lot in that conversation, including what characters in the Bible he thinks just might be on the spectrum. Be on the lookout for that one. It was really fun to make. This was Time to Grow, a podcast by UCB. We'll talk again soon. In the meantime, be well.